Being a uh, atheist, he just was uh, enjoying the beauty of the natural world, everything was in his physical property. So as he was walking along, he heard a noise in the bushes. And he turned to go see what it was, and it was a giant brown bear. So immediately, he feared for his life. So he started running a little bit, hoping that the bear wouldn't come, but the bear started chasing him. So he was already running faster, and the bear was gaining on him and gaining on him. Finally, he just knew it was too late. There was just not enough time to get away from this bear, and he stumbled and fell. And he turned around, and he looked at the bear coming, and just as the bear was ready to maul him, he said, please, God, no! And in that moment, everything froze. The water stopped moving, the bird stopped singing, and the bear froze in like mid-pounce. Mid At that very moment, God spoke to him and said, it's curious that you called my name, yet you don't believe that I exist. You, uh, you know, believe there's only natural order of things and that there's no spiritual, so why did you call my name? And the atheist thought for a moment and he said, well, it was a force of habit, but I'm sure glad you showed up. <laughs> and uh, God said, well, I'm going to give you a chance right now to, to ask me to come into your heart and to believe that I am real. And the atheist said, well, I've been an atheist for so long, I just can't make that decision. I would feel like a hypocrite. But tell you what, Lord, if God, whoever you are, if you could just make this bear a Christian, just convert this bear and so that he won't eat me. And God said, all right, as you say, there it is. So shall it be. So everything began again. The bird just singing, the rivers running, the winds whistling around. And the bear, in mid-pounce, sat down, put his hands together and said, Lord, I thank you for this meal that I'm about to eat. So uh, the moral of the story is be careful what you pray for. <laughs> this morning's message is for all those who have felt or have been defeated. It's also for those who have felt shame or are ashamed and full of guilt. This message is for anyone who has felt like quitting, giving up, or has in fact has quit altogether. I want to tell you that there today, in this church and the body of Christ today, there is a lie. There is a pernicious lie that the devil has, uh, like a cancer, has put into the body of Christ. And this lie is that I need to grow as a Christian, and as a Christian, it's expected of me to be strong. It is expected of me to be able to resist temptation and be like a mighty man of God or mighty woman of God. That I'm, be able, I'm supposed to quote scripture. I'm just supposed to have it come to my thought right away. I need to do more, be more, work harder at my faith, paddle harder, ride harder, pray harder. I need to do all these things because that's what's expected of me as a Christian. It sounds crazy that I would call that a lie, but it is. This morning, it would be uh, wrong of me to not speak of that thing and not go into the Bible. Amen? So this Bible here, let's go into Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 24. It's the final chapter of Luke. It's a very cool chapter. Lots of great stuff happens in there. Let's move uh, right to verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers 
were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they had talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly appeared and began to walking with them. But Jesus kept them from recognizing who he was. He asked him, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short with sadness written across their faces. And then one of them said, one of them, Cleopas, said, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Jesus asked, what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that this man was going to be the Messiah who had come to rescue us. This all happened only three days ago. And then some women of a group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who had told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out there to see, and sure enough, his body was gone. Just as the woman has said, just as the woman, just as the woman has said, then Jesus said to him, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took him through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus, and at the end of the journey, Jesus acted as if he was going to continue on his walk. But they begged him and said, Stay tonight with us, since it is getting late. So they went home with him, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread, blessed it, and then he broke it and gave it to them. And then suddenly, suddenly, their eyes were open, and they recognized Jesus. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And then within that hour, in other words, instantly, they were on their feet and on their way back to Jerusalem. Seven miles. There they had found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered there with them. And he said, The Lord has really risen. He has appeared to Peter, or some versions say Simon. And then the two from Emmaus said their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling uh, all about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Whoa. I'm going to pause right there. So put a, Pastor Nick says, put a chip clip on that. These disciples were on this road, which they famously called the Emmaus Road. They were feeling dejected. They were sad. They were disappointed, ashamed, full of sorrow, and they were returning home. Back to the old ways. They were returning back to the way they lived before. Back to the law of self-righteousness. The best they could do was just to self-work themselves to be uh, right with God. It's amazing that they left Jerusalem at all, because they had just heard the report that the tomb was empty from Mary and Magdalene, and, and then the men went and confirmed it. They went over there again to look, and they said it was empty. Yet they were still 
uh, disappointed and sad and were returning home. The, the reports were going everywhere at that point. They, they, they basically, an empty tomb is not enough, right? An empty tomb is not enough to believe that Jesus is alive. Can you imagine if it was today? Twitter would be trending. <laughs> Hashtag Jesus is missing. Facebook would be having status updates, showing pictures from cell phones of the empty tomb. What happened? What's going on here? Yet the two disciples still chose to, to leave the scene of the excitement in Jerusalem and go home. As the story goes, we see that Jesus is walking with them, and he asks this very important question. What are you talking about? What is it that you are discussing so intently? In other words, what language are you using? What kind of things are you talking about? But then when they shared the story of everything that happened, Jesus lived it all. He knew this story. But they never mentioned once. And yet this is what the scripture showed us, that he would be risen again. They just didn't grasp that concept yet. So Jesus reprimanded them that they had forgotten the scriptures. What did he share with them? He said, the scripture says that he spoke from the prophets, from um, the writings of Moses, and from Psalms. So he might have shared about them with Exodus 12, about the Passover lamb, how Egyptians were refusing to let his people go, and God had called them to write, uh, to put on their mantles and the lintel of the doorpost the blood of the lamb, and that the angel of death would pass over them. And it was also, he probably told them, John the Baptist said, when I was walking toward the Jordan River, and John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. The same Lamb of God there in Exodus 12. He might have mentioned the story of Ruth and about the story of the kinsman redeemer. If you don't know that story, read that book. It is awesome. Peter elaborates on this kinsman redeemer concept so beautifully in 1 Peter 1. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was paid with mere, not paid with mere gold and silver, which loses their value. But it is the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. He probably told them about how David wrote in Psalms about the Son of God, all the time he was talking about the Son of God who would sit on the throne. And then we see there in the New Testament God saying, Behold my beloved Son, who, am I, well, who I am well pleased. God spoke to them there in the river. He might have spoken, definitely he spoke from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then we read in Luke chapter 4, Jesus doing this very thing at the age of 12 years old. He went into the synagogue. He grabbed a scroll from the attendant, and he unrolled it, and he found that spot. And Isaiah, well, they probably didn't have numbers and chapters, but he found that spot in the scroll. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is saying this. For he has anointed to me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled that scroll up, handed it back to the attendant, 
And everybody in the synagogue was sitting there, standing there, listening to this 12-year-old speak prophetically. And Jesus said, the scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He might have spoken of Zechariah in chapter 12, verse 10, when he said, Then I will pour out my spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David. We find out in Matthew, in the lineage, that Jesus is in fact in the same line as David. And then on the people of Jerusalem, they will look on me whom they have pierced. Jesus was pierced on the cross and mourn for him as if it was their only son. But he didn't have to say all that. He, I'm sure he mentioned the resurrection. In Acts 2, we have Peter speaking to uh, the crowd of 3,000 people. And he used David's uh, psalm in Psalm 16. He says, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus to Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew that would happen. And his prearranged plan was to carry it out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. King David said this in Psalm 16, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. As my body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. Peter says, how can this be talking about David? We know David is in his grave. We know he died, and that tomb is still sealed. He said, this is talking about Jesus. David was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection, and he was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. That uh, revelation to Peter didn't come until he got to meet Jesus in the resurrection. The disciples said, after he, Jesus had spoke to him about the scripture about himself, they said to him, didn't our hearts burn when he gave us these scriptures? Our hearts burned with fire when he gave us these scriptures. Does your heart burn with God's word? Does your soul and spirit have this fire within you when you read God's word? Ever wonder why when we get an eye-opening experience, <coughs> whether scripturally or spiritually, we get this eye-opening experience, but then it's never enough to get us to do the thing that we've been inspired to do? It's like, it's, oh, it's so great, and we just soak it in, but we never take the next step to apply what we learn. I find that our self-worth and the the fact that I said self-worth should raise an alert flag to you. <laughs> Our self-worth is in the wrong thing. Many of us have been Christians for many years. Some of us are new. But we find right away that we tend to put performance ahead of spiritual matters. We think, oh, the church is doing well and people are coming and we see people coming to Christ. Then we feel really good. But when people aren't coming to Christ and we haven't been praying and people aren't coming to church, we internalize that and make that make us feel shameful that we didn't do something. We didn't do enough. We didn't work enough or pray well enough. When their eyes were open, what was it that they saw? When Jesus broke that bread and he gave it to them, what was it that they saw? 
they saw the collimation of everything that they had gone through while walking with Jesus. They saw immediately what the scriptures meant, and they understood once and for all what Jesus meant on the cross when he said, It is finished. This encounter with Jesus compelled them to share the news. They knew how desperate the disciples were for good news. They found out while the law of God was good at telling how much we fail at keeping it, Jesus came to be our advocate, the only one, the only one that was able to keep the law so that we can now, through that redemption, keep that very same law through Jesus. They were so excited, they left right then and ran seven miles. Doesn't say they ran, but they went seven miles in the night. They were ready to retire. They had just walked seven miles. So that's 14 miles in a day. Would you run seven miles to share the good news? You would if that heart was burning with the word of God. These disciples knew that the Old Testament intimately, they were taught from very young, and they finally learned what the Messiah meant from that Old Testament. They lived in shame and guilt under the law, never measuring up, and the law always had the final word. When they were on trial, and they would say whatever they wanted to say, but the law always had the final word. They had no recourse, but now the gospel of Jesus Christ has the final word. Jesus met all the demands of the law. Their action from Emmaus, where they went from the shame, guilty, self-righteous mindset to the exhilaration of meeting the Savior. Our deliverer from death in the, law of, in the law to life in him. They realized that their efforts to grow and be stronger when Jesus was, li was alive was not the aim of the gospel. After three years of spending time with Jesus, they were getting pumped up. This man could do, no nothing could stop him. He could tell the waves to stop moving. He can raise people from the dead. He can heal people. He makes the Pharisees befuddled. They don't know what to say in return. They were pumped up. They were ready to follow this guy as he redeemed Israel from their oppressors. The gospel was to remind us how weak and incompetent we are, and that while we are in that weakness, Jesus is made strong within us. The Bible to them, the law, ceased to be a self-help book that said, this is how you live and please God. Now the gospel tells us a story, this is a new title to the book, that from Genesis to the Gospels, to Revelation, the story is about Jesus. Amen. It doesn't say anything, anything about that story. No subtitle, no foreword, no preface, and no footnote says, and it's about your performance. It's about how much you do to get Jesus to love you. You know, the self-help industry annually is in the billions, is in the billions of money made in the self-help industry. That tells us people are looking, they're aching for an answer. They're aching for God in their lives. But we know, Hebrews 13:6 says, where it says, for we have confidence to say, Jesus is my helper. I will not be afraid. Amen. It doesn't say help yourselves and God will help yourself a little, help you along. Help yourself, work at it. Be, be the Christian that you're supposed to be, and then Jesus will help you. No. Jesus is my helper. I have confidence that he is my helper. The entire focus of the entire existence of mankind was to know the Messiah. 
This story is no longer about sin and what we should do about it, but what Jesus has already done. This here next scripture I want to share is probably the most profound scripture. In fact, it's what started the Reformation with Martin Luther and the great awakening of the stifling rules of the church at that time. It was, for all intents and purposes, it was the Dark Ages. But this here, there are many great scriptures, but this should be your daily bread. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish. From start to finish, it is accomplished by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Paul here is quoting Habakkuk, that little tiny book in the Bible, Habakkuk, right at the end. But he's quoting that scripture. So there's another instance of the Old Testament being confirmed in the New Testament. It's Habakkuk 2.4. Look at the proud, they trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. In other words, the just shall live by faith. The famous Martin Luther that I just mentioned said that he would preach the gospel to himself every day. He would preach the gospel. He would preach the gospel to him every day. Why? Because he knew he would forget. Every day he woke up, he forgot what the gospel said. Can you believe that? But it's true. And then he said, I would preach the gospel every day to my flock, the people that were connected to him every day, because he knew they would forget too. And all the work of the self-help movement, in business and success and everything, there's one thing that they got right. And that is, you need to attend seminars, you need to attend conferences, you need to read books, you need to listen to the tapes and all that stuff. All of that is true because it's biblical. You need to remind yourself what the gospel is. Now, the self-help industry is talking about you need to remind yourself that you are special and blah, blah, blah. It's fruitless. You know, you probably got to do it three times a day to remind yourself who you are, <laughs> let alone once a day. The reason that you have to be, the reason is this, because you have to be preached at two. You have to be talked to every day. Let's remind ourselves of the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. What did they get every day when they woke up? Manna. Every day. But could they keep it? What happened if they kept it? It would rot. It would turn bad. It was unedible. Even the most hungry guy would be like, oh, no way I'm eating that. But every day there was fresh manna. Every day. We need that fresh manna every day. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be eaten every day in light of Romans chapter 1. When you walk out this door today, when I finish this message in about two hours, <laughs> when you walk out this door today, your attitude should not be this. I'm going to finally do well this week. How many of us said that? <laughs> this week is going to be the week. It's going to be the week. I know it. Jesse's message really spurred me on. I'm going to make this the week. I'm not going to even wait till Monday, tomorrow. I'm going to start this afternoon, right after this service. I'm not going to even eat lunch. I'm just going to go do the gospel and do what Jesus called me to do. I'm not going to wait till Wednesday. But we all know, and I am the poster child for this excuse, is 
by Friday, you go, where did the week just go? What just happened? And then you're already, by Sunday, you're here again. That should not be your attitude. This should be your attitude when you leave today. You have to say to yourself, I am redeemed, and Jesus is the gospel. Jesus has done the work. Jesus is the good news, and the work he has done, it is finished. That should be your attitude when you leave today. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We can have that fear that you can't do it, and you find it so hard to not want to perform for God. And then we get this guilt and shame that we didn't perform to the standard that we think we're supposed to set ourselves to. Those are burdens. Those are burdens of the Old Testament believer. It is no longer your burden to carry. The word of life, we hear many times in the Bible, the word of life will quicken your mortal bodies to flee Jerusalem, to flee to Jerusalem with the good news. That quickening of the spirit is a word often used in the scriptures. I want to say I found 30 instances of it. It means to primarily to make alive, to revive, or to resuscitate. It is literally to get you back to life because you were dead. That is what it means to quicken to mortal bodies. It means to sharpen. You sharpen your focus. You sharpen the, you put out the things that distract you. And you get a keener perception to. It's to stimulate, to incite, or to quicken the appetite. To quicken the appetite for more of that word, that scripture that burned within your hearts. It's to revive, to cheer, to reinvigorate, to refresh and view refresh of new supplies of comfort and grace. David in Psalm 119, long, long chapter, mentions the word quicken 11 times. He uses that word quicken 11 times. He was always stressing grace. That quickening of your mortal bodies is the grace of God. Jesus said in John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickens. It is my spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing, but the word that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He also said in Matthew 4, 4, for something, that every word, uh, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that what? Comes from my mouth. From the, the, from, the, from the voice of God, that is what you should be living on. Always let Jesus in the gospel of what he had done for your life, always let Jesus have the last word. Do all the reading and studying and meditating and praying and all that stuff. This book is awesome. And read books about it. Many great authors. I have tons of them that have changed my life. Billy Graham, a book I read about the Apostle Paul. I'm reading now one by David Limbaugh. Excellent, excellent books. But at the end of the day, at the end of all that studying and reading, let Jesus have the last word. Let him have the last word. So how do you get off of this road that the two disciples were on? In fact, the better way to say it is, how does Jesus get you off that road? Because you can do nothing. The first thing you do, I'm going to give you three things. This is how you get off that road. First, you need to repent. That turning around from that home in Emmaus and returning to Jerusalem the city of God, the, the, the place where everything began, it was repentance. Those disciples repented from returning to their old ways. 
Jesus admonished the disciples for giving so quickly the scriptures concerning himself. And this is why he said, what are you talking about? What is the words that you're using? Why are you so sad? In other words, check your language. Change the words that are coming out of your mouth. So the first one, repent. Number two, search the word for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Read every book within this book and find the Jesus. I'm, uh, I'm still, to this day, finding things in there I had never found before. Every book, every single one in here talks about the Savior, the Christ, and the Messiah. Look and find the Jesus in here. Jesus said, I'm going to share the scriptures with you concerning myself. Always search the scriptures for Jesus. Now, the New Testament is full of Jesus. It's easy. But in the New Testament, we get very hung up sometimes on churchology. How do we behave? How do we act? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to say? All those things. All good. But don't get hung up on that. Because you're not going to be able to accomplish church if you don't have Jesus burning within your heart. It'll be fruitless. Churchology never produces anything. Look, Moses was great. Jesus was better. Abraham was brave, full of faith. He was the, the covenant that God made with him. You know, Abraham was super brave. Jesus put that to death. He put that to bed, sorry, by dying on the cross for you. David was a mighty man of God, a prophet, a king. Jesus was God. Don't get hung up on that. Search for the Jesus. Number three, let Jesus, and this is key, let Jesus serve you with truth. Sit with him and commune with him. Spend time with him at the table. Sit with Jesus and commune with him. When he takes that bread, he always did it in this order. He takes the bread, he would bless it, break it, and then give it to you. That is communion. He broke his body for you. And when you receive that bread from Jesus, you will see what it is that he wants you to see. Yes. You will see the Christ, the Son of a living God. When Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but the Spirit of the Lord has revealed when he said that you are Christ, the Son of a living God. Yes. And he said, upon that rock, I will what? Build my church. On what the Spirit reveals to you. That's your foundation. That's what you should put your heart on. When he takes that bread and blesses it and breaks it for you, your eyes will be open. Let the King of glory, the Prince of peace, your counselor, serve you. Let him serve you. He will serve you the truth. It is that moment your eyes will finally be open to the tree of life instead of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Now you are now no longer looking at that old Adam self that ate from that tree. When you sit with God and he reveals himself to you, you are eating the fruit of the tree of life, the bread of life. This will lead to the end of the chapter 24 of Luke. So if you're still there, I'll back up a little bit. And just as they were telling about their experience with Jesus in verse 36, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. And he said, Peace be with you. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. 
Why are you so frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands and look at my feet. You can see that it is really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies. You see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed him his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief. They were still shocked. They were just, you know, couldn't believe this. But they were filled with joy and wonder. Could it be? Could this be Jesus, the Messiah that we were following all this time? And then he said, uh, I'm sorry, he said, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. If you recall the story of Jairus' daughter, she was dead. And he came and begged at Jesus' feet to come and revive his daughter and bring her back to life. He did, and she came back to life. And what was Jesus, what did Jesus command him right after she came back to life? Do you have anything to eat? And they said, yes, we do. And they sat her down, and she ate. When you come back to life, Jesus feeds you something. Jesus had come back to life in their life, and he asked for something to eat. It's, it's, it's a mirror image of everything that Christ has done in the scriptures. When your eyes are opened, you get served something. You get something that you get to chew on. And what happened to those disciples, it burned their hearts, and it made them run seven miles to share the good news. And then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, here he says it again, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to the understanding of the scriptures. Right at that moment, their, their minds were open to see what he was talking about. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this, underline this, that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And here it is. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things. And in the final verse, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here into the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Hallelujah. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. The message, the gospel of Christ, is that. You are forgiven. And why are you forgiven? Because I said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. Don't perform for me. Just stay in me. Don't feel shame. Don't feel guilt because it didn't work out the way you wanted it to. Stay in me. The gospel that Jesus wants us to know is what he has said in his word. I am with you always. In Hebrews, I am your helper. Do not be afraid. All this stuff, I know your minds are saying, but Jesse, what about you know, sharing the gospel and, and, and you know, prophesying and doing the good work of God and all those things? What about you know, all those stuff? They're all great. They're all great. But none of these guys, the disciples, none of them struggled with doing those things. Why? In face of death, 
in face of them even going to, they're going to get murdered and killed for doing this, it didn't concern them because the word of God burned in their hearts. The scriptures concerning himself. Jesus didn't talk about the law. He didn't talk about why God made the earth and how special man is. He said, I'm going to share the scriptures with you concerning myself. That is the key. It's that Jesus died for you, forgave you of your sins, committed his spirit to the Lord, and then released his uh, spirit. And at that moment, he died. And on the third day, he, was ro- he rose again. An empty tomb isn't enough to convince you. You need to have an encounter with the spirit of the Lord. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom to be who you're supposed to be in God. And the scripture says, in my weakness, you are strong. Paul, the apostle of all apostles, says, how wretched man I am. I'm worthless, but because of what Christ has done for me, I receive his righteousness. The just shall live by faith. Let your faith lead you as you leave here today and preach to yourself the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet.